Welcome to a special bonus episode of Film History of the History of Film, Reefer Madness, technically part two. When we recorded Reefer Madness, uh, we knew we had a lot to cover, and it was a little bit different of an episode in general. Obviously, we covered the history of the film itself, but we also covered a little bit about American history that gives you context around the film. And then there's also the actual event itself, the murder that inspired the movie, that inspired the propaganda, that inspired American history over the last hundred years to an extent. And when it came time to cut it up into parts, because we're trying to keep the parts down to more digestible chunks, and part one was already running pretty long, we knew we had to put this into a separate part. But when I got into the edit bay, I really felt like it'd be a strange episode to upload as our normal weekly episode. Normally, these part twos go up on the Wednesday after, but this doesn't really have anything to do with film history. It's just history about the murder itself and a little context around Deb's film as well. So uh, I figured it'll be a bonus episode. And we'll be back Wednesday with part one of Humphrey, Vo Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Sorry about that. But without further ado, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy as Dev takes us through time. I have no idea when Dev starts on this. Oh, me neither. Is it now? It can't be now. There's no way. Wait, it's coming up. Okay, hold on. Okay. Places. Places. The history of film. That better who you the lights go dim. James Cagney to, to Nosferatu and stunts that shock you and dirty, dirty studios made. From wings to Top Gun, movie stars and no ones, romantic crazy fans that leave no real of fun. Hollywood is still from history in Hollywood. They chase the Oscar, but it's all a sham, just like Shaq and Kazam. All your dreams can come true. Film history, the history of film, all of it made for you. Good God, that was terrible. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is either part two or <laughs> the, you might not even hear this part. We'll see. <laughs> uh, this is Reefer Madness, everyone. Uh, a little bit after 420, maybe, if this is coming out as part two. Or it's on 420, and everybody's already super stoned. Super and uh, we're back with film history... The History of Film. So we talked about the movie Reefer Madness. We talked about the absurdity that is the the plot and how it got made. And uh, Dev gave us a very detailed description of exactly how this thing came to be. It's very fascinating. But it was, as we were saying, loosely based, they claimed, on a real murder that happened and that is what Dev, we're going to open it up to him uh, to give us the gory details, if you will, of this murder. I murder. am uh, the, the dream slayer, as he is the known, dream slayer. Uh, on, on the, in the Ebor Tampa circuit. But before we get into that, I really do want to give another <laughs> shout out about Reefer Madness, the musical. Like, you guys, if you have not seen this, please go on YouTube and rent it. You can rent it. You can buy it. 
Um, there's clips you can watch on YouTube, but the musical is a musical comedy and it's so fun. It's starring Alan Cummings and Kristen Bell. And dude, Kristen Bell is a smoke show in this. This is young nice. Veronica Mars, Kristen Bell. And in this, she wears leather in a sing and a song. She, first of all, she's an amazing singer. She's just an awesome performer. But yeah, I remember seeing this movie in 2005, right when I was graduating high school. And I was like, holy shit she's hot what is this who is this person and i fell right in love with her uh and still am but sorry Dex. but uh <laughs> everyone should watch this shout out to the music by dan studney and lyrics by kevin murphy uh they're awesome and performed like i said amazing in the opening scene uh there's zombies it's a caricature there's a song sung by the devil jesus makes an appearance and he's like buddy christ from dogma he's like a really cool swinging jesus and he actually kind of the guy who plays jesus kind of looks like a young rock like Dwayne Rock, the J- Dwayne the Rock Johnson, ironically enough, but he's not, as, <laughs> not quite as muscular, but still in the face. But anyways, I just wanted to give a shout out about them and show my love and please go, you know, pay them, give them all the monies. They deserve it. Um, all the monies. All the monies. But we're going to talk about the real murder about a guy named Victor Licata in Ooh. 1933, Ybor City, Tampa. Uh, so Ebor City is a little sub town of Tampa. It's an old it's one of the oldest parts of Tampa. And it was very reminiscent of uh, New Orleans and Prohibition back in the day. It was so filled with mobsters and gangsters. It was called Little Little Chicago. There was so many That's drive-bys awesome. with Tommy guns, you name it. All those. So nothing's changed. Though. <laughs> very true. Uh, right now it's still a, a place of debauchery and, you know, very fitting for this. So the mob's not there, but their legacy lives on. Yeah, it's still a place of scum and villainy. Yeah. The, the best strip clubs in Tampa, you'll find in Ebor. Ebor. I've, I've, even, I've never even been, but I've already, it like, I, I've heard of it. Like it's reputation yeah. precedes yeah. it. There's also, uh, that's also where Club Prana is, right? Yes, that is where Club Prana is. How the fuck? Yeah, I don't know about Club Prana. I spent my 18th birthday in Club Prana and Amphitheater. <laughs> I, I went there for my uh, for my 19th birthday. That's awesome. My uh, I had a cousin that used to work as the security for VIP, and they used to broadcast Wild 98.7 and 93.3 FLZ from there. And I, as 18 years old, was getting blackout drunk up in the VIP, uh, <laughs> which I That's clearly funny. shouldn't have been, but. It it was a lot of fun yeah. times there. Uh, Prana this is, is a no Florida longer. story. Yeah. <laughs> Amphitheater are no yeah. longer. They all burned down in a fire. Oh, shit. Uh, but, you know, there's other other venues there. Ebor's still For, kicking. I was actually there yeah. on Sunday night, actually, Easter night. I was there with my cousin. Nice. My cousin that's that that's the, the place you want to be on a religious holiday. That's <laughs> where, like, anyone who's there on Easter is a fun person. You know what I mean? It's, it's like uh, but no, Street is what it gives you yeah, vibes of. The architecture, yeah, yeah. the people, the bars, all that kind of stuff. Not Club Prana's cool, though. Because it's a five-story club, and each floor plays a different type of music. Yeah, y'all had a few of those in Florida. Yeah, like, Prana's the only one I've been to. Really? But yeah, and yeah, I remember rooftop, like you know, going the first floor, and, and you know, it's all big. Da- Everyone's a big dance floor, but like the, it's pretty mm-hmm. cool how it's layered like that. And there's something about Ebor as a place, but also like from from the beginning, that place was always about a party. 
bro. It was yeah. always about bootlegging, drinking. Uh, if you want to do a, I'll do a, let's do a where are we for Ebor City. And <laughs> where are we? Where much are like, we? <laughs> I mean, well, because much like New Orleans, it's like it was a pirate town. Like it was founded by pirates. So like wow. Ebor is like still the place where it's like, this is in. where. I'd fit right so, in. Yeah, this is where the scum and villainy happens. That's actually not that true. <laughs> what? Yeah. There's a whole pirate festivals yeah, in Tampa. Yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? It's founded by pirates. No, no, no. Jose Gaspar is this pirate that supposedly invaded Tampa and we reenact the invasion and have a parade like Mardi Gras every year called Gasparilla. Gasparilla. But that is uh, invented by the elites of Tampa for a reason to party back during the days of like Prohibition and just after, like in the 30s and 40s. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These rich people who lived in South Tampa just wanted to have another holiday to go out and fucking drink and be pillaging the city like pirates and dress like pirates and run what? up and down so have a big awesome. pirate ship and a bunch of other private boats that go right into downtown Tampa and everyone jumps off and then we walk down this big street called Bayshore which uh, is like a PCH but you know right That's on the water it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's not Gasparilla quite too. based on yeah, I gotta go. real pirates we gotta go we gotta but take a film history field trip to, to Gasparilla. Gasparilla. Gasparilla is amazing. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, many yeah. I've spent many a drunken stupors in Gasparilla because I went to high school <laughs> right where it was, and like all, a bunch of my friends' parents lived on Bayshore Boulevard. So we'd be sitting on their front lawn and have this parade of pirates just being blackout drunk. So they do a day parade there, but then the night parade where the real fun happens, where mm-hmm. the real danger is, where you might Gasparilla get stabbed. Dark. Yes, Gasparilla it's the following dark. weekend in Ebor city and that's the one that's like the adult parade more like mardi gras and Mm -hmm. still debaucherous but it's just like the criminal festival yeah yeah that's that the, people are dressed up as pirates, but the swords are real yeah, this time. Yeah, the like, stabbing's real. <laughs> the stabbing's real. It's just dude. the purgerilla. The purgerilla, dude. <laughs> I so, love that the three of us are all from fucking pirate towns. Yeah. yeah. It's well, supposedly true. a fake pirate town. <laughs> uh, well, pirates were there at one point. Lies. Listen to this. If you believe it to be That's real, right. it makes it real. <laughs> damn yeah, right. Exactly. Well, we're going to Gasparilla, damn it. History's made by the, the winners. Yeah, we Florida. In pirate costumes. Florida's always been. <laughs> You know, like even even as teenagers, we would go to Florida to go party when we were like eighteen or nineteen mm-hmm. because the clubs all let you in and drink when yeah. you were eighteen. Oh, there's, there's no laws in Florida. Yeah, and we're talking about New Orleans was next door, and we would drive the other way to Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, yeah. There's no laws in Florida unless you want to vote. Then there are a lot of laws. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a lot of similarities between the French right. Quarter or say and gay. Ebor City. Yeah. And it's because they were built around the same, like just after one another. Like the architecture in Ebor is the same as the architecture in the French Quarter with brick buildings, cast iron, like balconies and gateways and shit like that, old Gothic style stuff. Um, and it was because the cigar industry made Ebor, in particular, Tampa popular in the 1800s. And the railroad, they had the railroad first came to Tampa and it went down from. Flagler in St. Augustine all the way down the coast on the east coast of Florida and that's what brought trade and industry to Florida and allowed for 
the cigar manufacturers from Cuba to come and move their factories to America and in Tampa and be, be, create like this little town of cigar workers that worked all at whether they're Italians, whether they're Cubans or African Americans, and there was Germans. And they all worked for these factories and lived in like these houses as apartments. So there'd be like these bungalow style houses with like three bedrooms, but each family lived in a bedroom. And then they shared the common area and shared the kitchen. And the setting is prohibitions going on. Um, Tampa is bootlegging alcohol like crazy. It is one of the biggest imports of booze by the Traficante crime family, uh, Santos Traficante, who's like the Al Capone of the South. He actually was has involvement with the Kennedy assassination. So Holy he shit. ran him and his later, his son, Santos Traficante Jr. ran the um, bootlegging and narcotics rings all around the South from New Orleans to Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, all of it. Right. And they started with gambling rings. So the setting is like the environment is like these group. They, they would have what's called these clubs. Like they would have the Cuban club, the Italian club, the German club, the African-American club. And these clubs were these big buildings where people used to go and get all their services. All the uh, people who worked at these cigar factories would go and say, oh, I need health insurance. I'm going to go there. I have a dinner club. Like imagine it being like a like a convention center kind of thing. Well, one-stop shop for everything. You go there for your drinks. You go there for your Friday night parties. You go there to play Bolita. Bolita is a gambling game. It's a Hispanic gambling game that was incredibly popular in the South. And they would have all these like, dens and hidden spots around Ebor where all this underworld would be occurring of crime. And Ebor was privately owned by one guy who started these cigar factories. And oh, he, he that's why the police didn't go into Ebor. The jurisdiction was different. It was like a private owned colony Whoa, it was like this wow. weird legal loophole and one of the last in the country at the time to where you had no, this basically a city that was self-governed <laughs> away from the laws of the state it's like uh, it's like the vatican for debauchery yeah man yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very another much so. band playing the troubadour <laughs> vatican for debauchery <laughs> There was a there was a, a head gangster at the time who built up this industry named Charlie Wall. And good old Charlie Wall was a redneck. He was the son of Tampa's wealthy and elite. His dad died when he was a kid and he fell into gambling and drinking and fighting at like 12 years old. And became nice. like a nuisance and then used his political connections because like all of his friends and classmates were like became judges and doctors and lawyers and like business tycoons and stuff. So he would use that political power to keep the law off of him. But then he would then run this seedy underworld um, as this like kind of redneck fucking mafioso dude in Tampa. And that is until Santos Traficante came along from New Orleans, a young Italian with ambition. And Charlie Wall was like a pirate. He acted like Blackbeard. He would like be all loose cannon, have anger, always fucked up. 
I mean, just walking in the street and shooting people. He had a disagreement with them. Like he was, he was a wild motherfucker, but kind of untouchable at the time because of all these reasons. So there was a family that moved from New Orleans to Tampa named the Lakatas. And they had a 20 year old kid named Victor Lakata in 1933 murdered his whole family with an axe in the middle of the night. And Dream the police, Slayer. Police Whoa. came the next day and they found a joint roach at the scene of the crime and they blamed the whole thing on weed. So yeah. I found out Whoa. about this story because a buddy of mine from high school told me about it while we were, it was my birthday years and years and years ago, almost a decade ago now. And we were playing poker, just me and a couple of friends and at our house. And we, he, we're talking about reefer madness and he goes, Oh yeah. You've never heard of the murder from the Lakatas, Victor Lakata. That's my cousin. And I'm like, wait, what? So like <laughs> I'd seen the movie musical. I knew about the original movie, but I didn't know it was based on this murder and it really peaked my fucking interest. So I started doing two years of investigative journalism about this. I went and pulled the genealogy reports for the family from the local universities. I went and got the police report for the murder. Looked up all old newspaper clippings from the time of the murder. All of this crazy stuff. Dude, when I went to TPD headquarters and I went in their records division and I asked for the uh, police report, they were like, we don't have it. We can't find it. And I'm like, what? wait a minute, what do you mean you don't have it? Get me a supervisor. This police report was published in a book like three years ago, the whole thing. And then I go, look, they, they teach this law case at FSU Law School. They fucking teach right. this in accredited universities in law school. You learn about it because it's such a big thing and it was such a notable event in Florida history and law and then federally. So they go over this. So I'm talking about, I'm like, do you have other records from 1933 they're like yeah and i'm like but you don't have the most famous record from 1933 they're like no not anymore so like after waiting there for like two and a half hours i finally got a supervisor to come down and they gave me the front page of the report that's it and they're like this is all we have and i'm like what do you mean and I was like, all right, that's suspicious. What the fuck is happening here? Did somebody scrub these records? What's going on? So slowly pulling the thread of that sweater a little bit more is when I discovered all the other political events that we talked about earlier in the last episode where it was like, uh, Andrew Mellon, who is Harry Anslinger? What are these gore files? What was going on with the Lakata murder? And Victor, a little bit about his family. His family, his parents were first cousins. So right away, you know, there's something going to be a little bit off about this family. Um, That's not too far out of the norm back then, but it was still pretty taboo. So the word on the street, everybody knew Victor was kind of crazy already. He had uh, a sister, uh, younger siblings, and he had one older, uh, his oldest brother was away at law school. But other than that, the whole family lived in Ybor City in one of these bungalows. And then they, um, some of them worked for the cigar factory. Uh, his sisters and mothers, or his sister and mother didn't really do anything. And his dad owned- fun. The uh, Eagle Barber Shop on Tampa Street in downtown Tampa. So his dad was a barber and he ended up, you know, being in and out of psych wards, in and out of like, quote unquote, being committed in mental institutions all as like a kid. And then this murder happens 
and they really don't know whether or not he killed them or he was already just crazy and his family got murdered by maybe organized crime and then it got pinned on him and blamed on him and they paid off the newspapers which were all in their pocket at the time to take the heat off of moonshining and, and rum running and stuff dude there are tunnels underneath ebor on the go from business to business that you can still go down into and those were used for the bolita games and for the smuggling of booze so i went right. and i went to do more research about this and i was doing scouting for locations to film my movie and i found the house where the murder took place it still exists it still stands So I went there and I asked the guy who lived there. I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about filming a movie. I wanted to look at your house as a location. Can I talk to you about it? So he's like, sure. And he, you know, sent me a message. I I ended up going over to his house for coffee one morning, the the house that it was. Um, And he renovated it, but still kept it original architecture and stuff. It just looked new, but kind of back in that time period. And he had done this with a lot of other historic homes in Ybor. So it's kind of like his business, but he lived in this one. And I walked in to this house, bro. And there was a picture, a poster of reefer madness hanging on the wall. And it was like, holy shit, wow. this is awesome. <laughs> so the guy gave yeah. me a tour of the house and there are ax marks still in the windowsill of this house wherever it took place dude he pulled me upstairs to the attic and there was a remnants of a big fire that had occurred from a moonshining still with like a pulley system and old bottles that he had like actual moonshine bottles with booze in them still there from 1933 like that he recovered and preserved during the remodel of this so i mean um he, he, I, I ended up having to write all this in to my movie, into the story, and put that as a, an integral part. But, you know, it's it, it seems apparent that the Lakatas were making moonshine for one of the two organized families. And it's right. very, very possible that they got offed because of that. And that Victor just got blamed for all of this stuff. Or it's just as equally possible that he was a fucking crazy person who snapped and murdered his whole family overnight. It's very, very down the middle. I guess you'll have to watch the movie to find out what actually happened. But do you (laughs) so I don't want to spoil anything for your movie, but like do you think that the the joint was maybe place there like do you think that that was like um that wasn't even originally there or it's like also like these guys are like moon running and all this other stuff like they've also just happened to smoke weed too and like it's an unfortunate circumstance that gave the government ammunition to make a propaganda film out of it i think it's i think it's a i don't know about it being placed or not there's conflicting reports so like there's a report saying that it was found the joint was found inside the house and then there's other newspaper articles and clipping saying that it was found out front in the front porch or on the front sidewalk well listen to this oh sorry go go ahead no, it's interesting because it, the theory that it might have been placed does hold some water. Uh, and I'm sure you talk about this guy, Deb. Uh, testimony from there was a guy named Dr. James C. Munch, and he was a marijuana expert. Basically, he was a, a Temple University pharmacologist who Henry An- or Harry Anslinger made him like the weed expert for, the you know, the. Right, the drugs are the, for the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, or the DEA, as it would become. Um, and this guy was notorious for blaming weed, like uh, blaming murders on weed, to the point where he was testifying in court 
about this person was high on marijuana when they committed their crime, and they would find out that all of his details were wrong. He didn't even hardly do research on these trials that he was being the the drug expert on. And it was he was the guy who really helped Harry Anslinger in court be the guy to say, like, I am a weed expert. And this crime was committed under the influence of marijuana and just another reason why it Whoa. should be, you know, illegalized. He absolutely, this guy definitely could have planted that joint. It, he had full access to it for sure, yeah. you know. But they, I think the joint was planted just because I think they were really trying to tie this to yeah, marijuana. Yeah, they're like, this is like the craziest, like this is a gruesome murder. Yeah. Like this man but murdered his own family with an axe. We gotta tie this plan. to marijuana. Yeah. Even if it was planted, it doesn't matter whether it was planted because right, for everybody sure. in that area in Ebor was like smoking weed. This yeah, could have for been, sure. They could have been, the family, Victor, could have been just smoking weed. He could, yeah. And then that had nothing to do with the murder, but they could have just found it there and it could have been yeah, his right. or his right. fucking brothers. Or if it was outside on the sidewalk, it could have been somebody who just threw it as they were walking down the street, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. they, I, I don't, I, I think it's with the, with the bigger thing to look at is all those surrounding events because like they killed the dog, bro. They killed yeah. the family dog. Like I say they, Damn. because as you Whoever say, I don't think it was Victor. Because if it right. was Victor, why would Victor kill the dog? Dude, they found Victor sitting in the toilet saying, just keep quiet. Just keep quiet. Just keep quiet. What? And that's all he said, repeating until he went to Stark Penitentiary's mentally insane asylum. He escaped from there, went to New Orleans oh. for a little bit, and then got yeah, caught yeah. and went back to fucking Stark and then hung himself in his jail. Oh my God. So wow. like, it's a whole crazy thing where like, he might've been crazy. This seeing this murder might've caused him to snap. It might've been a bunch of contributing factors. You know, right. it's, it's a Whoa. really, really cool, interesting mystery at the time. Once the murder happened, this was a big scandalous event in Tampa. Like I, I encourage everybody out there listening, just go Google uh reefer madness, Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay Times in 2020, the Tampa Bay Times wrote an article about me and this murder and my movie. So it gives the whole it's a really good article That's awesome. by a guy named Paul Guzzo. Shout out to Paul. Um, he gives a background of the real events. He includes clippings from the newspaper articles of the time. This is the same things that I use for reference in my research. And then he goes into talking with me and it was kind of crazy. I just got a call one day from Paul and it was set up through the film commissioner of Tampa and because he knew I was making this movie here and the guy, Paul reached out because Paul covers a bunch of these crime and, and Cigar City Mafia kind of based uh, stories about this time period of Ebor and this old gangster aspect. So he was working on a piece and he just called me out of the blue to do an interview in May while I was in LA during the pandemic. And we were supposed to roll cameras in in april of 2020 on this but the pandemic happened and we shut everything down we didn't know if distribution was going to happen we didn't know what was going to happen so we've since did some rewrites and revisions and polished it up and we're going to reshoot it hopefully in the beginning of next year and then have it come out my goal ideally would have it be released on october 16th in the theme of Halloween, because this is a very Halloween stylized movie, my version sure. of this story. Um, and that, you know, that day is, is, is really like, 
a significant day. Like they, he murdered his family. It was a Tuesday. He murdered them overnight. Right. And then at, if he didn't say anything, he didn't get anything. He apparently cleaned himself up, took a shower. And then at like seven in the morning, went to his father's barber shop and asked the clerk there for the gun behind the counter. And the clerk is like, no, Victor, I'm not fucking giving you that. What are you talking about? Go, go, where's your parents? Go the fuck back home. He's like, I need yeah. a gun to like shoot a chicken or something. Like he said some bullshit. And he's like, oh, no, I'm not going to give you that. So then he went back home and just sat there in the bathroom and just said, just keep quiet. Just keep quiet until the police sent a uh, like a squad car by to check on things because no one had heard or seen from the Cotas all morning. And at like 1130 in the morning the next day, on Wednesday, they broke and like bashed the door to his house and find this gruesome murder scene and then find Victor right. in the fucking bathroom. So oh. that's when they arrested Very him. They put him away and they took him to court. There was a court scene about him. You know, so there's th that same parallel in this film and this story as in the original reefer madness so that's really cool this this came out in all the newspapers right and and it was almost national coverage because it was so graphic there was a little kid that was murdered who was like 10 years old i mean they showed in the newspapers before they fucking really had censorship they showed pictures of the dead bodies of where the murder took place like the news got right. in there and took a picture so that's why i was able to block the scenes in the movie exactly like the murder took place because Whoa, there was record yeah. of it so we're gonna film this movie in the house where the murder actually took place too which is awesome so yeah. there's gonna be a whole awesome. you know making a murder style non-fiction behind the scenes documentary as we're filming the feature film so i'll get two movies coming out of this instead of just one uh, that's awesome but victor goes to jail Harry Anslinger finds out about this story because the doctor, uh, the lead medical doctor or drug doctor of Munch. Florida, there, oh, of, no, of Florida, there's a state of Florida, like uh, Surgeon General. That gotcha. Surgeon General wrote a letter to Anslinger. And I have that letter. It, that was one of the letters that was framed in the marijuana museum in L.A. in the picture frame. And I was always looking for this connection. I could never prove that this letter existed. And then I found it there. It almost broke down into fucking tears, guys. Yeah, I think it was seven years of my life researching this. And all of a sudden, I turn a corner and it's there hanging on a wall. And I'm like, this is right. it. That's the proof. There's the connection. It really did happen like this. So he sent this letter to Anslinger and Anslinger finds out about this murder and says around the country, don't let your kids smoke weed or they're going to end up like Victor Licata. And yeah. he used this. This was one of the biggest files and probably the main file that started his gore files. So he was going around the country having these talks all in the mid 30s before the movie Reefer Madness came out. The movie Reefer Madness came out at like the end of these like road shows that he would go for like years and go tour different towns and and different religious groups and try to amp people up by giving live in-person speeches and he would bring these these gore files by that drug czar the doctor friend who created them and he would say see look at this this is this 20 year old kid victor licata smoked weed once went crazy and murdered his whole family see this this other guy he raped somebody in georgia and yeah. that's from cannabis yeah. see this this other yeah. guy he murdered three people over here and that's from cannabis and yeah, like, like they were all it, bullshit. 
<laughs> yeah, it, like it cannot be emphasized enough. Anslinger was a shyster. He was a shitty dude. He had this, like, you know, one of the first America's war on drugs was this guy. That's what he considered. He was like a soldier against drugs. And him and that munch guy were going around the country just like planting weed on everything. And also, it was a very, of course, it started out even back then. It was very racist. He said that this was like Mexicans and Africans, Americans were more disposed to use the drug. And then he said it allegedly made them lust after white women. That was one of the big reasons to stay away from marijuana. And uh, he, there was this uh, incident with him and Billie Holiday, the singer, Billie Holiday. She was, people found out she was addicted to heroin. Um, not great. And he went on this fucking like campaign against her using her as one of his, he basically would find people in their most vulnerable places and use them for his war on drugs. And Louis Armstrong too. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was addicted to heroin, you know, uh, and people pretty much just know by now it's been like un- earthed that he planted he had drugs planted on her he had like weed planted on billy holiday she died in a hospital handcuffed to a bed because of charges that he was bringing against her for drugs whoa yeah Listen, he was guys, a shitty dude it wasn't even just that he was shitty yes he was shitty yes he was racist but he was told to do these things yeah His for sure uncle brought him into his office in this department of treasury and said, you want to help out? You're part of the family. Now you married my niece. You're going to be the heir to billions of dollars. One day your family too. You want to go make the family proud? Your first mission is to go make marijuana illegal. Go make hemp illegal. Do it by any means possible. Be as ruthless as you can. Actually partner with William Randolph Hearst. He's a racist too. You guys use the racist angle. Do whatever the fuck you got to do. But go, here's a big giant sum of money. Now go fucking make our family proud. That's exactly what what happened. So like he was under like orders from rich business tycoons to fucking go do this. And the way he went about doing it is really fucked up. But I mean- you got to think like this is like his his legacy, his family business that's going to like suffer if he doesn't get this job done. They were really oh, for Rockefeller's sure. fortune, Mellon's fortune were riding on this. Probably all the bankers, all the investors of all their companies. Think about all that power, JP Morgan, all oh, that yeah. kind of shit. They were all resting on like this can't he be was made industrialized. Yeah, he was making bank off Holy of this. The war on drugs made shit. a lot of people. It's still, yeah. it, even the, still does. Yeah, still does. Makes a lot of people a lot of money. And uh, a lot of people have to sit in prison for having a little bit of weed on them. Insane. Private but, uh, prisons, all kinds of gnarly, crazy stuff. But yeah, I mean. Yeah. Victor- Looking like it finally might be federally decriminalized. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my hope we'll with see. this movie. I, I use the alchemy of they took a factual event, added a lot of fiction via a movie to tell a lie. And that's what caused right. us to get this prohibition. And I said, why can't I take the same factual event, add a little bit of fiction to tell a truth and reverse the process? So yeah. hopefully it'll be federally legal before that. But that was my whole ethos in telling this story was, dude, if, you, if the country knew, if the everyday person, the layman person knew how and why we got here, 
this could be fucking undone. Nobody would support this. Nobody would support private prisons. Nobody would support these families being torn apart by possession of a plant you can't even OD from. Not only that, one that could literally save our country economically. Like, fuck this debt. Fuck this inflation. We're going to start making all of our shit out of textiles, hemp plastic composite, run on hemp. It's a trillion dollar industry. You know, it's... It is the crumbling of an old system. And that and it, you know, popular go Google Popular Mechanics magazine from 1933 says help the billion dollar crop on the front fucking page. And wow. they knew it. They knew it coming into existence. It was in pop culture. And you know, they, they just used this murder as the spark that lit that fire for prohibition of cannabis. Yeah. And that is why oh, this whole fucking thing of why we're here, how this all started was because this murder in Ebor started it, the propaganda and everything was blamed on that. So this yeah. was the launch point. Man, yeah, I'm looking at that Popular Mechanics magazine. That's very interesting. They said uh with hemp, farmers said that they could grow and will yield from three to six tons per acre a year on any land that will grow corn. Yeah, basically it was it, it was it was going to be like the new thing, the new billion dollar crop. It's a whole new way, whole new way. <laughs> Tw- over twenty five thousand uses and applications wow. for hemp. Holy yeah. shit, wow. man! So, if you'd like to write history, support us on Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want anybody listening <laughs> we'll out there. I do want to encourage to follow Abracadabra Dev on Twitter. Um, I what we're doing with this movie now is we're partnering with a platform called Bima, B I M A H dot I O. You can go sign up on their website right now, and we are going to be launching several art projects via NFTs in conjunction with this movie, but. These are things that you'll be able to like, oh, if you buy, you know, this NFT, it'll have a partnership with a cannabis brand. You can go take it into a dispensary and get a discount on your wheat. Like we're, we're offering a lot of cool functionality and utilities behind this. I have a lot of uh, legal cannabis brands that wanted to support this project. But the problem is you can't really feature you know, a vape cartridge in 1933. So it's like, how do we, you know, help each other out? Well, some of these brands are going to be making products with characters from the movie. So you'll have like a Victor's Rage weed brownie. And like, uh, you know, in my movie, each one of the family members represents one of the seven deadly sins. Victor is rage. And we see Victor's journey from, him working in the cigar factory and falling in love with his love interest and then his family uh, becoming the ones who are really insane and driving him to this climax. And we don't know whether he murders or, you know, he gets framed for it or whatever. You'll have to watch the movie for that and figure it out. But uh, it's a fun ride. I tell people it's a cross between the untouchables in Sin City. So it's very dark, very starlized. Like the characters, when they they don't smoke weed, they take this little red pill called Sanex because the whole family is going to a group psychologist. And whenever they take this little red pill, they go crazy and have the same mannerisms as the characters in the first Reefer Madness had. So it causes their eyes to glow red. They want to hump everything. Ralph wants to play the piano (laughs) and fucking eat a bunch of food. Like... It's, it's wild. It's a lot of fun. And it's going to be 
a really really uh entertaining but uh, like uh, i'm talking this is like an important movie like this is a film right. that has like a story to tell that's good for the fucking country and good for our culture and that's one of the reasons why i did it i didn't do it just because i wanted to make a movie and be a director this is really like had I, I not stumbled upon this story, I never would have wrote this. I never would have wanted to direct it. I never would have put, gone down this path. I might be sitting on a beach in Puerto Rico somewhere right now. That was my <laughs> original plan, dude. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I was like, I was in a business venture, a business venture, and I was making good money, and I had like some good six figures saved up from that. And then I found out about this, and I totally pivoted. I changed wow. everything in my life, and I went, "Oh yeah. my god, this is one of my reasons why I'm here." This is, wow. this is, I have to fucking tell this story. This That's is like a, a mission. Dev. I love that. <laughs> Dev, yeah. I, yeah, I never, I never knew all that, man. Yeah, That's incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome, man. So follow us, be involved. Uh, sign. I'll be releasing shit on Twitter. I tell you, if you sign up for our Patreon, if you DM us, go follow and go like. Um, I will add you to that NFT drop, and you will get free ones of these uh, first round of collections. But you'll also be able to get like a red carpet experience. You'll get behind the scenes footage. You get all kinds of extra perks that we're doing in the metaverse uh, and in perpetuity. Like this is going to be a thing that we're going to just expand on from it from when it releases during its filming you'll be able to get the props you'll be able to like you know get play a, a game with the nfts basically you know collecting certain characters of the family work in conjunction with each other and give you certain perks and rewards discounts at places and products you know it's it's a lot of cool shit man i'm i'm nice. so excited about it so everybody should just follow us and hit us up Absolutely. Cool. Awesome. See, that was a little uh, film future, the future of film. You know what I <laughs> that mean? Was, Things to come. It was a little of the secret sauce. <laughs> yeah. Film Hollywood, y'all. <laughs> Hollywood. Well, Dev, uh, is that a, is that, does that wrap your uh, your history lesson for us for tonight? That's me. That's all Hell good. Yeah. That's incredible. This and Dream Slayer, baby. Awesome. Nice. Dev, that is incredibly fascinating. Thank you for that. Uh, I can't wait to learn more during your film. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as Dev alluded to until then, you can catch more of us on our Patreon and film yes. history, Patreon, a lot of cool stuff coming to that this first month. We're getting it going. Shout out to Dylan, our first Patreon subscriber. Dylan. Uh, you can find me at Drake Cummings on Twitter at Drake underscore Cummings on TikTok Hollywood Drake on YouTube at Drake Cummings and on, uh, um, my, my merch store at region 20s merch.com. Uh, you can find me at Abracadabra Dev on Twitter, uh, Abracadabra films everywhere. Sailor Dev on Instagram for my personal. Um, my film is called Madness instead nice. of Reefer Madness. So, yeah. you know, because it wasn't really about the Reefer, it was about madness. It's just that's, that's right. what it is. You know? Damn, awesome. And uh, so, tune in. Uh, yeah. Go follow tune all of our all socials too. <laughs> <laughs> the, next, the next episode coming up, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, tease it here. Humphrey Bogart, y'all. Ooh. The bogey. Old Humphrey, dude. Yeah. And this one's going to go. Humphrey B. Old Humphrey B, man. We're finally going to do bogey and Bacall. Bogey. Or bogey and Bacall. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I got it. I got it. Yeah, it's me, bogey. It's <laughs> me, But uh, we're finally going to do some bogey and Bacall here. It's probably going to be like, a, you know, I'd say three-parter. Let's just go cool. ahead and buckle up for a three-parter. 
But uh, in the meantime, you can find me at Jimmy Deloy or James Wyatt Scott, depending on where you're looking. You can find us at Film History, The History of Film, or FHHF Podcast. And uh, you can also find me fucking walking the plank off a pirate ship in Ybor City, hammered at Gasparilla. Hell yeah. (laughs) And that's been Film History. The The History of Film. You know what I'm talking about?